We continue with uh, our series, in fact, we're concluding it today, on, we've titled Holy Laughter, and we conclude with this reading from Philippians towards the end of that letter. Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Join me in a prayer. Be present with us. Fill us up. Send us out that we may not only know the joy you have given us and the great laughter that you allow us, but that we might share it. Speak to us in these few moments together, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. What a challenging line from Paul. I mean, I would feel much better if he said, just rejoice or rejoice in the Lord sometimes or, you know, occasionally or on the third Tuesday of every month. That would work. Rejoice on the third Tuesday every month. But always, always, not just some of the time, all of the time. Is that even possible? Are there people who really do this? Why would Paul, how how is it that he could somehow find it within himself to not only think this, but put it down in a letter offered to someone else? Rejoice in the Lord always. Ways. And he was in prison when he wrote it. Did you know that? He was in prison, in jail, when he wrote this letter to the Philippians, and this line found its way onto, onto paper to send, a, you know. He, I, that's the part I kind of struggle to get my head around, that he was in jail. I, don't, I mean, I don't know how many jails you've been to. I've been a, to a couple of prisons. I've 
seen him from the inside as a visitor, thank good, as a visitor. But they're not the most joy-filled places. Joy is a rare commodity. It's not like you send people to prison in order to be happy. It's not an aspiration to go to prison. So it's just, and yet here Paul seems to just have this unquenchable joy. I picture in, I, the picture I have in my head when I, when I re- remember that Paul's in jail and he's writing this stuff is that there's this light kind of beaming from his cell, from his jail cell. This holy laughter, as to use the phrase we've kind of coined for this, or holy laughter flowing all the way out of his, through the bars of his jail cell and, and kind of like rolling through the halls of the cell block like goo, just going all kinds of places. That's the picture I have in my head. Part of the reason I picture it that way is because I, I, I struggle to uncouple rejoicing from laughter. I see joy and laughter as running hand in hand, as strong partners together. It's hard to have one without the other. You really can't have one without the other. Well, you can have laughter without joy. I mean, you can, even the most sour puss of an awful person can laugh every now and then, but then they return to their, you know, sourness. <laughs> they chuckle and return to their place of, you know. But you can't have joy without laughter. You can't. It's just they're right there together. And here, Paul seems to have it in spades. Rejoice in the Lord. Let me tell you again. Rejoice in the Lord always, as if you didn't hear me say it the first time, I say it again, right? It just seems to, it's, it feels like when you read it that he's telling you to do it, mandate, this is a, you'd better do this, that's how it feels. Paul's writing often feels as if you'd dang well better rejoice, you'd better rejoice, You'd better laugh or else kind of feel. It kind of feels that way. In a lot of his writings, this is the way he writes. It can come across as if we don't do this, then we're a complete and utter failure. You know, if you don't rejoice in the Lord always, you're just a complete feels that way. In fact, all of this letter, amongst other letters, feels like it's just being commanded. It feels like you're reading an instruction manual on how to rejoice the right way. And the whole thing really is about rejoicing. He mentions it more than once, refers to it again and again, all throughout the first part of this letter, walking up to chapter 4. It's, it's, that's what it's about. And, so, and it feels like you've got this manual that you have to follow and succeed in completing, you know, all the way from the beginning of the, of the letter. In chapter 1, when you read chapter 1, it's all about saying hello to the Philippians. And then he talks about his own circumstances, where he's in jail and It's not the most fun place in the world. And he talks about the state of being there and all of that. And then he concludes chapter 1 basically by saying, and yet I will rejoice anyway, anyway. And goes into the whys. You know, I'd give it all up for Christ, as Paul would put it. I'd let it all. I rejoice anyway. And then once he does that, he starts in with chapter 2 with this list And the further you go, the longer the list gets of things we should do in order to 
do what be like him in order to do what I do. He says, do not do anything out of selfish ambition is one thing on the list. Don't seek your own interests, but the interests of others, as he puts it. Do everything without arguing. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Press on towards the goal. These are all things that come onto the list that you're finding. And, and you just find yourself going, God, I've got to check all this stuff off on a daily basis? Or what? Is this like something I've got to... If I'm not doing all this stuff, am I not going to be joyful like Paul? This is... How do you do this? How do you do this? You feel like he's telling you to do these things. It feels like you're reading an instruction manual. But that's what this letter is. And I read it that way for the longest time. And you know what? Guess what? That's not what it is. Feels like an instruction manual. But it's not. It's something quite different. And I was reading a recent commentary that kind of helped reframe my thinking. It was a weird commentary. Sometimes those are the best. It it was a commentary reflection on the whole of Philippians and on this particular passage by a professor named uh, Jacob Myers, who's a professor at Columbia Seminary in Atlanta. And he wrote this reflection, and he starts off this reflection by by saying this. He starts off and he simply says, I love cinnamon rolls. And of course, I saw that, well, I love cinnamon rolls. (laughs) You know, who doesn't love cinnamon rolls? Oh, cinnamon rolls, you know. And of course, you just go to, you know, Cinnabons, one of my courses. That's just, they're awful. Off, they're good. They're really awful. Good. And he talks about, he starts, he starts talking, he spends all this time on cinnamon rolls and talks about how, what's the best part? Everyone knows, if you know anything about cinnamon rolls, that the best part is the middle, you know, the warm, gooey center. That's the best part. And then he goes on into this description on how to eat a cinnamon roll the right way. There is only one right way to eat a cinnamon roll if you know anything at all. Almost this self-righteous feeling about it, you know. And he says the only way to, it's a roll. This is not a cinnaball. It's a cinna, it's not a cinnamon ball, a cinnamon roll. So you unravel it, of course, and you work your way around the outside as you come to the best part of the cinnamon roll, the warm, gooey center that is Joy coming alive in your mouth. That's how you eat. And he keeps going. And you're just reading this stuff going, wait a minute. I thought I was reading a commentary on Philippians. What in the world? And your eyes start to roll. You're like, what in the world does cinnamon rolls have to do with Philippians? And it's right about that time that this professor abruptly stops and says, now. What I've just done with cinnamon rolls is what Paul has been doing in Philippians. He says, when you get to chapter 4, and he says, don't read chapter 4 first. We love reading chapter 4 first. 
Don't read chapter. But when you get to chapter 4, Paul with rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul is beginning to describe the center of the cinnamon roll. Goes on, of course. Let your peace be made known to everyone. The Lord is near. Ooey gooey, warm center, right? Don't, you know, don't worry about anything. But let every request be made known to God, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. And he's talking about the best part, the center of the cinnamon roll. Joy coming alive in you. And that everything prior to that is Paul's way of describing what we're doing as we're working our way around the outside of the the cinnamon roll. I mean, everything. You're doing this, you're doing this. And I read that, and just that, it's amazing. The power of one image, it completely changed the way I thought about the letter because I also all of a sudden realized the shift that that makes. I don't know if you caught it, but here it is. If this letter is an instruction manual, then it is telling us the ways in which we have to work to succeed at getting the thing. If it's a cinnamon roll, then we're already receiving the entire deal as a gift. That's, that's the difference. If it's an instruction manual, then every step is a laborious exercise. If it's a cinnamon roll, then we're able to savor every single step as we smile more and more in our path towards the center, towards the best part. When you think of it that way, that's what faith's all about, right? It's a gift. If it's a, if it's, if it's a, when you think of it like that, it's as if you're, you're slowly opening this present. And when you finally get to the middle you can't help but jump up and rejoice and, and laugh out loud because God has given it to us, a peace which passes all understanding. It's a great gift that, that we often forget. In fact, it's a gift that we don't even we don't even know how to look for it. We don't even we don't even know how to find it. We get so wrapped up. We are so well trained at reading instruction manuals, at at working our dangdest around the outside, that we forget all about the best part. We get so wrapped up in our high stress, have to get it done by the deadline, succeed at all costs, no matter who you knock over along the way, that, that we walk right over the very things, the wonderful things God is trying to give us every single day. We miss the joy that often shows up in the form of a laugh. Author 
James Martin and his book I've been reading on laughter and the spiritual life to kind of help with this series. He offers this thought. He says, he says that humor, he says it may just be that laughing is something we do simply because it's fun. Not everything, he says, has to have a, a grand purpose. It might just be that God has given us humor as an outright gift. Nothing more or less than that. And we should enjoy it. We should enjoy it. A gift that shows up in the form of laughter. Now, I don't want us to misunderstand. I mean, as we finish this out, I don't want us to misunderstand. I've worried a little that we've, we've misunderstood and that the takeaway is that we should walk around life and then walk through our whole life with a, a smile on our face and just be happy-go-lucky Mr. McSmiley person and, and no matter what. And that's not, that's not, that is not what we're saying. In fact, Paul himself was quite honest about the hardships of life. When life came really hard at him, he was, he was quite willing to be vulnerable and share his inner conflicts. He does it, you know, he says things like, why do I say the things I don't mean to say? That's one of the famous ones. And in this letter, he talks about the inner conflict he has of being in prison when, and he, he shares that he does not shy away from it when life is hard. And we shouldn't either. When we are in grief, we should grieve. When we are hurting, you should share that with someone. When life just seems like it's too much and you cannot take another day of it, you need to be sure you're in a community like this one here in order to walk through life together. So, it's not what we're saying, right? But we are saying what I think, what I think Paul is saying is that there is a joy that is much deeper and more wondrous than anything life can throw at us. And it's a joy that is given. It is given. It shows up often in the form of a laugh. So, Three ministers move to a small town and they begin their service in their local churches about the same time. Little bitty town. Only, only churches in town. And a Presbyterian, a Baptist, and Catholic. And so they decide that they should get to know one another right away. And if they're going to be in this deal, they got to and we need to trust each other. So they sit down and they start to get to know each other. The first meeting, they decide that in order to build trust would be the best way is let's be really willing to share one of our faults with the group. The Baptist starts. Baptist preacher says, well, as y'all know, Baptists frown on drinking alcohol. That's a big no-no. But I have to confess, 
Every now and then I take a little shot of whiskey, you know. Just, I mean, come on, just to take the edge off for crying out loud. Just every now and then. And then I'm so grateful to have a group that I can entrust that with. Because if my people found out, boy, I'd be out of here. Presbyterian minister starts in and she says, well, she says, that's a good one. But, but as you all know, prayer is a big part of the Christian life, right? It's central to our faith, prayer. And we as pastors have to lead prayers all the time. But I must confess, I simply do not have a prayer life. I've just found prayer to be boring and dry. And I just, that's, I, I hate to say it, but that's, I've been that way for a few years now. And I'm just so grateful to have a group that I can trust that with, you know, and everything. They both turn to the Catholic priest, and the Catholic priest says, well, as y'all all both know, people tell us things all the time, and they entrust us with their, the worst part of themselves and all that. But I must confess, one of my worst faults is I have trouble keeping secrets. <laughs> I'm sure that's not made up. That actually had to happen somewhere. But it, it's good, right? It's, it's, isn't that even a chuckle has a way of surprising us with the presence of God. So if, if you learn nothing else from this series, may you know this. May you think of this. Laughter is a gift. Perhaps one of God's greatest gifts. So keep laughing. Dare I say, risk laughing too much. After all, God has brought joy into your life. You should share it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let us pray.